this episode may include discussion of stories regarding abuse, neglect, violence, trauma, and some interventions which some listeners may have experienced as traumatic. All right. Hey, Danielle, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Charlotte? I am doing pretty well, too. What is today? Today's Thursday, so it's almost the end of the week. Got a nice day off, a random Thursday off, so that's always nice. Have a midday break. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm I'm on summer break right now, so it doesn't really matter what day it is. But <laughs> right. like, what day is it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Vacation day. Exactly. Nice. So, what's been going on in your week so far? Oh, it's not been a whole lot, really. It's been a pretty, pretty quiet week with clients and. Um, yeah, just a nice quiet week. Uh, had a pretty good weekend. We went up to uh, Lake Michigan with this uh, kiddo, which we like mentor or like take care of sometimes. So she is seven and a half and we took a seven and a half year old to the lake. And for all our listeners, we don't have kids. So this is like our <laughs> exposure to kids. So that was something we had her for like 12 hours, which is probably the longest we've had her. And I was like, okay, it's time to go home now. <laughs> Yeah, and it's enough time to realize like how much of a difference it can make having a third person in your life too. Yes, yes. I can only imagine if I went like just by myself with her. Well, it was us and the dog too. So her and the dog get along super well. It's crazy how they're like best friends. So that helps. But having another yeah. grown up there helps so much. There are times when I was like, okay, you're kind of annoying right now. <laughs> I can like tap out and my husband could like entertainer and it wasn't even a verbal thing like it's just strange or well cool too to see how you just pick up on those cues from each other and can like take over and someone else can be the lead engager in that moment but that's definitely helpful and something I realized like oh this takes two people especially when you have a, a long car ride it was like a three-hour car ride so yeah and it's amazing how just like the presence of someone and like their energy like you can you, you can mirror that, right? Like I think of times when, you know, my daughter's having a rough week and my husband is, you know, also he's a little frazzled, which, you know, I feed off of that energy, which makes me a little frazzled. Or, you know, if he's more calm, I can feed off the energy and, you know, be a little more calm and vice versa too. You know, he feeds off my energy and mine off of his. It's, um, it's interesting how just the presence of someone and like the, the, um, the energy they're exuding can have an effect mm -hmm. so much yeah and there are far more scientific words for it like I use energy and vibes when I work yeah. with my families <laughs> and talk to people I'm like I know there's a sciencey word for this but energy and vibes sounds better yeah it's easy to relate for sure I think like um yeah. and you got me thinking too about um you know I started taking the uh you know, intro course for DIR floor time this week, which is, um, you know, it's a relationship-based approach um, that you can, it's primarily used with autistic clients um, and autistic children, but it can be used with anyone. It's, uh, um, I think I already said this, but it's a relationship-based approach. And they talked a lot about co-regulation and the importance of co-regulation to form relationships, to, you know, move on to higher levels of learning. Um, and what they call the, the energy vibes, like the word that they use is, is affect. Um, and I've, I know I've heard that used a lot for, um, you know, clients that I work with who have, I, you know, are very bubbly or high energy and they have high affect and, you know, kids who tend to sit there and not say a whole lot, and not be super interactive, having low affect. So 
Um, but I do like the words energy and vibe better. It just feels a little more relatable. Yeah, yeah. I use affect a lot at work too. Um, and matching affect and um, so I use a lot of theraplay and part of that is matching the affect. Um, if your kid is up here at a high level and you come in and just try and like bring it down straight away, it's not going to work. Like you have to get on their level and then slowly bring them back down through uh, co-regulation and regulation activities. So affect and co-regulation are like everywhere. We use them all the time. We don't even know, but we have this expectation, which I guess leads into our topic today of self-regulation that like our two-year-olds, our five-year-olds and as adults, like self-regulation is what we're working for. And I don't know. I think we want to talk about how that self-regulation is a myth. Um, yes. Your goals in treatment should not be to promote self-regulation. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, right? Yeah, yeah. I I am completely, I am, uh, I am super excited about this conversation. I know it's something you and I have talked about a lot. Um, about, you know, holding kids to these high standards and expectations that we don't even hold ourselves to, right? Like we co-regulate all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until maybe a year or two ago that I really learned more about how self-regulation is a myth. And I like to think of kids in the terms of, not in the terms, but like compare them to adults as well. And like, I wouldn't expect myself to sit there and calm down by myself if I'm really upset, right? Like, what am I going to do if I'm really upset? I'm going to call someone. I'm going to call my friend. I'm going to call my mom and we're going to talk through it together. And just that activity itself is co-regulating. So yes. why would I expect my kids to just sit there and stew on their problems by themselves and time out, which is really what we're asking them to do in time out we're not learning co-regulation we're expecting them to self-regulate through their anger but we wouldn't do that <laughs> we just continue to get mad until we talk to someone about it right yeah yeah and you bring up an interesting point too with like you know using something like time out where you know on, on the surface it might look like oh hey this is working and um they, they're learning to self-regulate and in reality um you know you're working at a surface level you're not really like digging down into the deep of, you know, why are they having trouble with regulating and then helping to support them to be able to better regulate, you know, through co-regulation or whatever strategies they may need. Oh, I don't know if timeout is like a completely different conversation, but like yeah, <laughs> in my work too, like we, if you're sending kids to timeout, you can also send the message of like, I can't handle you. You have to figure this out on your own. And this goes back to this like kind of societal, uh, idea we have that kids should be independent um and the more independent they are and the quieter they are like the more successful they are but really that's not success that's not how success should be um labeled or determined i guess like humans come from packs and we're so far removed from our packs right now we're just trying to do things independently but it's not it kind of goes against our nature to be independent and figure it out on our own it's not healthy yeah our nature and our biology, like, you know, our brain isn't fully developed until what, like 25 years old. Um, and the last part of our brain to fully develop is our prefrontal cortex, which is involved a lot of self-regulation, right? It's involved, like it is, you know, responsible for our impulse control and executive functioning, decision-making, our social expression. So, using self-regulation strategies like self-talk and things like that, what, biologically 
our brain isn't ready to fully be able to complete that function independently until we're 25 years old, at least. And then it's such a long time. I don't think that's a well-known fact either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That way to expect young kids to be able to do this in a classroom or at home is yeah, no, I'm good. So but like not necessarily about the prefrontal cortex, but like when we do see kids that are having trouble with regulating, it's not their their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet. So that's not what's driving their brain. What's driving their brain then is, you know, a lower segment of their brain. So their like their limbic system could be in control, which is in charge of their emotional responses to thing. And so, you know, they're having this emotional response to something and it's just their instinctual response to something, um, how their brain tells them to respond to it. And they don't have that prefrontal cortex to be like, oh, hey, let's think about our response to this. Is this really the right type of response for this kind of situation? They're not able to, you know, have those higher level thinking processes that allow us to kind of tame down that limbic system a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And even and sometimes that prefrontal cortex is there, but it's offline if we're in a stressful situation and there's too much cortisol running through the brain. Like we flip our lids. If you're familiar with the Dan Siegel hand model, like your limbic system is at the bottom and that's just your basic functioning. It's the first part of your brain to develop in pregnancy. Um, then that's connected to all the other parts and they all have to be closed and functioning together. And when we're stressed, like we flip our lid, our prefrontal cortex isn't connected to the rest of our brain. So it's there, but it's offline. Like it's not working anymore. So even though in a regular situation, we would be able to handle this when we're super stressed or we feel threatened, we can't access that part of our brain anymore. So it's really, it's like, maybe that's why we hear parents say, or just people in general, like, well, you did this before, you could do this in therapy, you know your coping skills, but when it comes down to it, like in the moment, your brain's not connected to that thinking part of your brain. You're just in survival mode. They're not connected. Yes. And context is so important. Like you said, there's been so many times where, you know, I have worked with a kid and have had, had those misguided self-regulation goals. Like, like you said, it's not even until over this past year or so, where I've really started to dive into um, the idea that self-regulation shouldn't necessarily be the goal. Regulation, yeah, sure. But self-regulation, especially in children, it's like, I think back to, you know, being in therapy in a calm environment, in a predictable environment, in an environment that meets their sensory needs. Um, and yeah, they're able to practice these coping skills and identify situations where they should use these coping skills in this particular environment. Um, but then you get them out into the real world in these situations that do stress them out. You're not able to, you know, retrieve that information to use those things, those coping strategies um, on the spot like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's, uh, I think it's been a challenge to really share this information or kind of guide parents in that direction because I understand like their child needs to uh keep it together in the classroom or at the grocery store it's disruptive and it's embarrassing um so I guess how do we guide them to co-regulation um I guess maybe something that I share with people is we have to have enough skills to keep it together for a brief moment until we can access our co-regulator right like we're not ex 
expecting them to just co-regulate all the time because that's not possible. Your co-regulator is usually your primary caregiver or someone you feel safe with. And if that person isn't accessible, we're not promoting that it's just okay to lose your mind, <laughs> but like maybe one of those tools that we can use in between until we can get to that person. Sometimes that tool is just, hey, I need to call my mom or even extreme levels of co-regulation or um, noticing someone else's affect is maybe the classroom teacher notices the child is dysregulated and prompts them to go call their parent or to go to their co-regulator because again, in that moment, the kid's not gonna ask, hey, I need to call my mom, I'm feeling dysregulated, right? Like it takes a third person to point that out and then guide them towards their prompts. And that guide is also a co-regulator too. That's a really interesting perspective I hadn't thought about because my mindset always goes to, um, you know, to educating teachers or childcare workers or, you know, anyone caregiving for the child to also engage in co-regulation with them. But I also understand because of like, you know, the way that our childcare and school systems are, teachers are stretched so thin and don't necessarily have the time or the energy to be able to co-regulate with every single student that might be having a difficult time regulating. So I like that idea of, you know, prompting them to go to their co-regulator, you know, a little phone call or something to the parent. Um, you know, versus putting putting just a, putting another burden on top of, um, you know, having to take care of a class of 20 plus little ones. Yeah, that is a, that is an exhausting job. Um, and a lot of the trainings I've been through have said that like daycare workers are actually really great examples of what to be as a parent or a clinician. Um, because they do have really good affect regulation and their rhythmic in their voice and their tone of voice itself is just regulating to people. Um, so it's really interesting to see that some people just have it. Like they're just regulating and calm people to be around. And um, that sometimes that's all it takes to regulate people. You don't have to have this toolbox of here's some coping skills. Let's do deep breathing. Sometimes just a calm rhythmic presence is enough to bring someone back into um their fully functioning brain yeah and you bring up a, a point too a good point too about their um you know their tone of voice even being a you know a big calming factor do you i mean and i know that there's you know some statistic out there about how you know like 95 or 97 percent of our communication is not it's not with the language that we're speaking but um, you know, it is the non-language part of our communication. Um, and that really can tie into co-regulation about, you know, our body language and our tone of voice and um, the effect that it has on someone else and their ability to, um, to regulate. Yeah, absolutely. So tone of voice is a big one. And sometimes that can be challenging because some kids really struggle with reading other people's not only body language, but their tone of voice as well. Like their social engagement systems are not um, as fully developed. So even though someone may present as being calm and regulated, um, they may not be able to see that. Or if they have trauma in their background, like they're not used to calm and regulated and calm and regulating is dysregulating for them. So it can be a real process to get people uh, comfortable with this 
calm, regulated state. Because for a lot of people, regulated and calm feels uncomfortable because all my life has been chaos. Like, I don't know what this feels like. This feels weird. I don't want to be here. <laughs> Maybe that's a different discussion too, but... <laughs> You know, you've got my mind going in like 20 different directions now. <laughs> right. Being calm and regulate can be dysregulated for some people. But uh, yeah, I think that's a different conversation. So what, so if you, if you did have, we're working with a child or our caregiver for a child who, um, who is dysregulated by someone else who is regulated, how, what are some co-regulation strategies that usually suggest in those situations? That is a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think from my experience, like being aware of that, because you don't want to stop trying to be regulating, um, but going in smaller amounts of a calm state has been helpful. Um, like I'll have, if I can get a dysregulated kid regulated for two minutes out of the 60 minute session, that's a small step. <laughs> so taking in small increments of time to build up their window of tolerance where they can feel more comfortable in this calm and regulated state. Um, so finding some things which don't feel so uncomfortable for them. Um, stillness can be uncomfortable, touch can be uncomfortable. So looking at different options that may look different, like regulating for one kid, maybe spinning or rocking or jumping might be regulating for them. Um, it may not look like they're calm, but there'll be some inkling you get that they are a little more regulated in that moment. So it's really about finding what works for your kid and doing it in small, small moments to build upon so you can get that longer period of regulation. Yeah, and that kind of segues nicely too into the next like part my my brain was going to which is you know how regulation can look different especially in neurodivergent children you know like um like you said it may look like spinning or rocking and you know you think of kids with different sensory needs kids with you know autistic children or ADHDers or um you know any sort of neurodivergent that where that form of regulation does look different, um, where they might not necessarily enjoy touch as much, but spinning or, you know, climbing, um, that could, or movement, um, that could be regulating. And on the surface, it might look like if, you know, a kid is spinning around, it might look like, it might look dysregulating, right? To, to a, you know, a neurotypical person who doesn't have different sensory needs, it might look dysregulating, but in reality, it's regulating and it comes back to a lot of, you know, what we talk a lot about too is attunement and being in, attuned to what, what your kids' needs are, their specific needs are. Yeah, since we started talking more about neurodivergence and looking at things differently and deeper, I've been really trying to do that harder with my clients. Um, I've had kids lately who are just hanging upside down or can't sit still. And like, you know, in a classroom, you can just hear the teacher like, sit still, sit in your chair, Timmy, sit still. But like, that's not what his body needs right now. So <laughs> yes. I've been really trying to reinforce and send home the message that like his body is moving for a reason. Let's find out what that reason is and how can we adapt it into your classroom? Um, because they're paying attention. Uh, at least during my session, they're paying attention. They're just hanging upside down and that's fine. But like, that's maybe regulating for him. So how can we build that in because um, we do strange things as adults too where <laughs> we do things to regulate ourselves I know you've told me about a few things would you want to share some things that you do um, to regulate yourself which may look different 
Well, currently, right as we're speaking right now, I am, I am, I am doing one of my so stimming self stimulatory behavior. Um, you know, self stimulation. It's, uh, you know, a lot of repetitive, me, you know, sensory input of some kind that is regulating. It can be communication. It you know means of communication. It can be a regulating coping mechanism. And I'm doing that right now. What I do is I tap you know, my thumb to each of my fingers sequentially back and forth and back and forth. And that is something that I do that's different from other people. It might be different from other people. Um, but it is for like the predictability of it and the like control of it is regulating, right? So someone I've noticed, you know, when I've been at work, I work at a, in a school system and I will be walking down the hall and I'm, you know, a little bit anxious or stressed about something and I'll be tapping my fingers and I notice people looking at my hand because it does it's movement it looks different um but it's also helping me to regulate in that environment when I'm feeling stressed out and that's such a like a really small thing to do as well it's something that you have access to all the time and you can do anywhere and it's not like disruptive or just it may be distracting if people pay attention to it too much. I yeah, that's yeah. their problem, not yours. So um, that's something that like you, the tool you have with you all the time. And like you said, the predictability and there's a rhythm in it. There's so much research out there now about how rhythm is regulating. So if you can create any kind of rhythm for yourself, that's going to um, regulate your internal, what is it called? Your central nervous system. So that's a really neat technique. Yeah. What about, what about you? What are some means of regulation for you that might look a little bit different? Uh, I found myself when I've been, you know, paying attention to more of what I do as a person, as opposed to what other people around me are doing. I've noticed like at stores, I will sway or like rock from side to side sometimes, especially if I've stood in line yeah. for a while. <laughs> and I was at um, the store with my mom a couple of months ago and I was doing that and she like grabs my shoulder, just like stand still. And I'm like, mom, <laughs> My body is telling me I need movement yes. right now. I'm almost 30 years old. Let me sway. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, I don't know that I'm doing that. It's not a cognitive decision, but like stars have bright lights and they're big and there's lots of people and you have to wait in line. So just that movement side to side makes me feel, I guess, a little bit calmer inside. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my gosh, what was I going to say? lost it. I lost it. That's okay. Oh, man. Um, oh, yeah. Our, our bodies are, are really, really good at telling us what we need, right? Like, we do these things unconsciously a lot of the times. Um, and, you know, it's the same like you were saying with your kids who are moving and hanging upside down, their body's telling you what they need to be regulated. Um, and it's up to us to pay attention to that and to, um, you know, allow for those needs to be met so they are able to become more regulated. And if you really want to take like a super neurodivergent look at all the behaviors that you see or work with, you can probably find an answer for that. <laughs> like, if you think about the brain and the central nervous system that that behavior the child is doing is either responding to or like correcting um, a not an action what's the word I'm looking up so the it's fixing what's going on inside or it's responding to how your brain is responding on how your central nervous system is responding if that makes sense like if you can very likely trace back each behavior to what's going on inside neurologically and in your central nervous system yeah yeah 
I could totally see that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if there's any information out there on that already. I haven't looked into that, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just uh, training the safe and sound protocol, which is based in the polyvagal theory. And there's so much information within the polyvagal theory about regulation and how it connects to your central nervous system and the vagus nerve and it's all connected even as far down into gut activities and like physical ailments that people have um, being connected to your central nervous system so it's super interesting it's out there it's a really nice approach to take of like oh it's not just me like and that's why behavior therapy won't work for those things because yes. you can behavior therapy it but you can't change your central nervous system with a behavior modification so yes if you've been trying behavior modification for years and it's not working it's not just a behavior right it's something likely internal that you're not looking at so let's take a deeper look yes yes Oh man, I'm holding myself back from going on a tangent with that one. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, and you know, and and just coming back to the fact too that we hold kids to these high standards that we don't hold adults to. Like, like you've said, I you know, if I've had a stressful day, I come home, I talk to my husband. If like, it doesn't even necessarily matter if he understands what I'm you know talking about it's the fact that I have someone else there to listen to me and like have a calm demeanor about them um, to help me kind of come down from that. Or even sometimes if I don't want um, to talk about it, just having someone calm there with me um, can have a calming effect or. What do you yeah. think it would be like if you came home and you were sharing that with your husband and he's like, well, what did you do wrong? Like, what are you going to do differently tomorrow? Like, why did you do that? Like, why did you act that way? Like, how would that change? Um, yeah, how would that change the uh, experience for you? It would not be good because I, do, I mean, I do have people in my life that do that, and I tend not to turn to them to co-regulate. You know, I know the people. If I'm having a rough time um, or a rough day, I had a stressful day, I know the people to call or to talk to, and I know the people to avoid because I, you know, there are people in all of our lives. I'm sure that have that kind of response. And I'm sure that's not the first person that you want to call or talk to when you've had a stressful day. Right. And if you think about it, sometimes as parents or parents that we work with, that's the, the response that we're giving our kids. Like, well, why did you have a bad day? Why did you kick so-and-so at school today? Like that's in that moment, that's not what they need. And I understand that you want to address the behavior, but that's not the time or way to do it or the approach to take. Because if someone came at you that way, you wouldn't have a good experience or a good response. So why would you expect your child whose brain's way less developed than yours to have a, yes, mom, this is why I did this at school today and everything's going to be different tomorrow. Like you wouldn't even respond that way as a grown adult. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You would start to avoid your parent when it, you've had a rough day, right? Yeah, because then you create a, oh man, not just have a bad day but now you're going through shame and anxiety about oh what are my parents going to say like they're going to be mad so now you're anxious about what's going to happen at home because of what happened at school and you're creating this cycle of shame and yeah absolutely you're going to pull back you're not going to want to talk about those things or share your struggles because that person made you feel shameful or bad about your experience instead of at least accepting and validating 
your feelings in that moment. It's, yeah. yeah. And it makes me think too about like you've said the some of the children that you work with who's been, who have been through some complex trauma and how that could you know be a slippery slope to having a hard time being around regulating people because I I I, I don't know if there's any like substance to this thought but I could see too like oh hey you know my parents don't even have my back my parents aren't there to support me so why would anyone else be there to support me why would any why would anyone else care and try, you know care about me and my bad days and help me to come down from that absolutely and that's a big internalization that happens and when you have people who are not consistent and not predictable and do not help you in that moment that's when kids develop and um they become overly independent because they've learned that the grown-ups in my life cannot help me they cannot protect me i'm the only one i can rely on i have to figure this out myself so that's when kids become overly independent they can become like defiant it's not that they're being defiant they just don't trust the world around them and they've learned they can only trust themselves so they have to be in control so we can send unintentionally all kinds of messages by um not being supportive or predictable and um stressful or just any environment really or situation and not only do we use people like i want to go back to you said when you come home after a stressful day you may talk to your husband but you also may like go on a run or drink some wine or take a bubble bath right you take care of yourself you don't put yourself in timeout. You don't seclude yourself to your bedroom or make yourself write lines about why today was bad. Like, yes, don't <laughs> do that. So it just blows my mind that as a society, we think these things will work for kids when we wouldn't do them for ourselves. Oh, and you bring up something else too that I, I meant to touch on about, you know, using these external means to help regulate, to using things like, you know, running or bubble bath or, you know, whatever any sort of external means that someone might use to help them to regulate we also see things like uh you know fidget toys or um sensory bottles and things like that that are you know they are means of regulation for some children yes 100 percent, i agree with that but we need to practice those things while we're regulated in order to recognize that they have a regulating effect so i've seen a problem too where um people will buy these you know fidget toys and sensory bottles and you know uh swings or things like that for their children and just put them in a sensory corner and not engage with them to like show them how to use these items and to do it while they're in a regulated state they have you know it's like oh you have your fidget toy you have your sensory bottle like you should be able to calm down in reality it, i feel like it takes some co-regulation to understand and recognize that these external means of regulating um can be helpful yeah absolutely and that's something that therapy is good for is usually in session you know it's calming you're learning these skills with your parent well in my sessions I always have the parent in session too because um that way the parent knows what's going on they know what skills we're learning so I can help you use them at home when we need them and you know we're practicing them when we're calm um and if you miss that piece and you're not likely to use them when you're dysregulated um I am fortunate enough to be able to use a biofeedback device as well, um, which helps you, it, like it measures all kinds of things that you're going inside of you, but ultimately you can see what your heart rate is. 
and what your affect is and you get a nice visual for it. So I'm able to try different coping skills or different activities to see, uh, you probably just heard all those sirens outside. <laughs> uh, you're able to use an array of different coping skills and visually see is this activity bringing down the heart rate of this person because ultimately that's what we're trying to do when we're regulating whether we're regulating from a bad mood or a super high like ultimately we're trying to bring our heart rate back down to a baseline so um i think if people have access to tools which monitor their heart rate that can be super helpful in guiding what activities work and which ones continue to raise our heart rate and make us more agitated or more dysregulated yeah and i like that too because it's it's like you said it's like a concrete visual of like hey this is having this effect on your body um and this isn't just something your kid is making up Mm -hmm. um, this yeah. is having the physiological effect on their body. And here are the things that we can do to make this go up, which is, you know, or make it go down, whichever, you know, direction it needs to go to become, you know, um, successful. I don't know the right, yeah, yeah. successful. There we go. That's, that's, yeah. And you can even use, uh, Fitbits. Those are super accessible. They're really cheap nowadays. Um, and I use it myself. I'm a really anxious flyer. Um, so there are points when I wear my Fitbit and I see my heart rate just like skyrocketing. <laughs> so I know, okay, I have to use some deep breathing. Um, and that's how I was able to find deep breathing skills, which actually worked because just in through your nose, out through your mouth wasn't doing it for me. Um, but like the false square breathing, I noticed actually brought my heart rate down. So now I've learned that. So when I fly, I'm like, okay, I know this works because I've done it several times. I've seen physiologically that my heart rate goes down. Let's go. <laughs> you know, it just helps I... get through that experience and test it out and see what worked um, to find it. So Fitbits are a really great uh, means of uh, monitoring that for people too. I love hearing about that example from your personal life. That's that's a good one. <laughs> yes, yes. So, and I think it's important too, like dysregulation isn't just bad or like when we're having a meltdown or when we're angry dysregulation can be on the opposite end too of like a super positive experience or when kids are hyper or they're having too much fun that they struggle to bring themselves back down by themselves like it's not just the opposite end right yeah yeah you bring up an amazing point um because our level of regulation shouldn't be there shouldn't just be a baseline for all the time like you need a different level of regulation to be in the classroom versus on the playground versus um on an airplane like you said um all, you know different environments require different levels of regulation and like you said one end of the spectrum or the other isn't good or bad it, it just it just is and it's healthy and normal to get mad about some things and it's healthy and normal to get hyper about some things and it's healthy and normal to be like calm and um zen for, you know sometimes right and it's great if you or your child can go through that window of tolerance of having your highs and having your lows but a lot of people struggle to get back to their baseline or within their window of tolerance on their own which i think is the whole point of the conversation of the like it's hard to self-regulate just on your own without some kind of co-regulator or regulating environment or like stimulation to get you back to 
that point it's fine like you can be hyper but we're going to come back down too like you can be really mad but we're going to come back up to this baseline and a lot of times we as grown-ups and kids need help getting back to that baseline and it would be really great if we could start looking at it that way like I'm going to help you get to that point yes yes and yeah this all develops when you know you're a baby really when you have a need your parent meets your need and helps you calm down like we don't know what's wrong with the baby they're crying so I try feeding you I try soothing you I change your diaper and eventually we find something that works and what's going on for the babies they're creating like I think they're called neuro circuits so the baby is learning I have a need a grown-up meets my need and I'm calm again um, and really that should continue out throughout the lifespan and if at some point especially during the first three years of life that circuit um, malfunctions are is different than that sends the brain into a little bit of overdrive like oh wait people are not predictable this is strange I don't know how to handle myself right now like so the co-regulation piece begins even during like pregnancy probably of learning the affect and the rhythm of um like the mother's heartbeat like it's regulating there's yeah. more research coming out now too that if the mother is stressed that's directly impacting the baby because their her cortisol levels are going to the chat developing brain cortisol there's so much more going on there so affect and regulation are key from like day one yeah so it, it's truly a regulation is truly a lifelong meaningful strategy um i feel like that really drives that home it starts from the beginning you know before a baby's even born Mm -hmm. and i was listening to a podcast last night actually which was talking about things similar to this um and they talked about not exactly co-regulation but how isolation um can have worse impacts on your health than like um being unhealthy physically that you can have um an unhealthy lifestyle and often be in a better mental shape than if you're solely isolated if that makes sense it's crazy to think that but isolation and not having your people or your community is really detrimental um and that goes back to co-regulating <laughs> We yeah people to make us just to make us feel good like if you're isolated you just don't feel good and it's like i even think about this past year and how people had to be isolated and how people are you know busting at the seams to get back out and see others again but also how important it was to have these like virtual means of communication with each other and just the importance of that community and the importance of having um you know our people around us to keep us regulated during a super stressful time right yeah and it's not like we were doing anything special during those times right it was just the yeah. connection literally just connecting with another human being is enough to um bring us back to a level of uh sanity <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> a baseline of less stress so connection is so important and connecting in the right ways can mean the world of difference to our kids, for ourselves, for our partners, our grandparents. Um, yeah, because elderly people too, they spend a lot of time isolated, especially if they're, you know, in the home by themselves or even in nursing homes, there might not be a whole lot of interaction. It goes all the way across the lifespan and that connection 
um, is so important and we want to continue to promote that all the time. Yes. So I guess I, you know, I don't really have a whole lot else to say. I feel like, um, we've covered a lot of great topics with this conversation and a lot of great brought up a lot of great points. I feel like in this conversation, we have, yes. And maybe it's brought more, um, questions or more thoughts to other people's minds too. I know when we were talking, I was like, Oh, well, that's a one for a different day. That's one for a different day. So, <laughs> I had to, I, I had to withhold from tangents quite a few times. <laughs> we will definitely expand on some of those moments on a different day, but yeah, I think maybe a final thought to leave with our listeners is um, to maybe look at behaviors um, or symptoms or whatever your child or whatever you are doing through a different lens and seeing, okay, there's a different need here and this need may be impacted by the environment or it may be impacted by something that happened it may be an emotional response or it may be a response that's going on internally through our central nervous system don't just like check it off as a behavior that can be addressed quickly like i really hope people can look at things differently and at a deeper level to hopefully help themselves or their kiddos out Yes, yes. And recognize that they themselves are an important tool to help get their kids to regulate after, on those days, on those tougher days. But that just, you gave me another thought. <laughs> <laughs> like, parents are humans, right? Like, how can you regulate your kid when you yourself are not regulated? Yes. Oh, I don't even know if that's one for today or a different day. I know. Especially just... if you're a single parent, like, how do you do that? <laughs> I, I have all the respect in the world for single parents. I just all the respect because it is hard. It's hard as, you know, as a parent of one kid, I mean, she does, she has a more fiery temperament, but of one kid with a partner, I, I have so much respect. Right. And yeah, the expectation is not to be this co-regulating beast all the time <laughs> like you're human you yes have to have your own dysregulating moments and take time to regulate yourself before addressing whatever's going on with your kid and I think that's where things can go wrong a lot of times is we feel like we have to address it immediately and we're just adding fuel to the fire at that point but if you can take however long it is to regulate yourself and then address the problem or then help your child co-regulate is going to be much more successful than this yes regulating mess from everybody and I guess, yes and i guess like thinking about the long term you know is it it your child they're going to have their they're going to have their days right they're going to have their tough days they're going to have their tantrums they're going to have their meltdowns and um it's more about the long-term consistency of it so if you know, your kid is having a meltdown or is having a tantrum and you yourself are dysregulated, taking 10 minutes to yourself and allowing them to have, you know, have their moment, but so you can get regulated is going to be much more impactful um, long-term than if you consistently halfway show up and aren't fully regulated yourself. Um, I feel like it's more important to take those 10 minutes to yourself to get fully regulated before you come back to it. Like you said, we're not perfect. We're not these machines that are all the time regulated. Um, and it's important to recognize that too. Yes, because you're not just addressing 
something in this moment you're creating and working on those neuro circuits and those are lifelong yes they can be changed but if they are um healthy and there to begin with then that is that is ideal so maybe that's a good way of thinking of things that this is not just for now like I'm creating neurological differences in my child's life with the way I respond in this moment no pressure it's just neurological differences yeah. that you're making <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but maybe that's more reason to take the time for yourself um before addressing what's going on with your kiddo they'll be okay and just make sure they're yeah. fine they'll be okay most of the time <laughs> yes much yes. better when you were better yes yes it's a marathon not a sprint yes oh this is just giving me so many more ideas i'll have a more list of things to talk about another time yes and i'm so excited about it all right well i think for sure that that's a good stopping point so we will say goodbye to our listeners for today and we hope that they tune in again next time and again if they have questions or want to reach out or topics to discuss um we will have our email address in our little bio of this so they can feel free to reach out to us yes we'd love to hear from you all right i'll talk to you next time